This is your host, Tia. This is your host, Tia. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Top 10. Why? Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome back to another awesome Top 10 by Geek 5 Nation. As always, I'm your host, Tia, and we have welcoming back to the show, Brittany. Brittany, you weren't here last weekend, and I miss you dearly. <laughs> Those are lies. You didn't miss me. No, I was joking. No, I missed <laughs> being on the show. It felt very weird. Because I was like, man, I haven't missed a podcast in, like, months like literal months and not being there for that one I was like what am I doing with my Sunday morning and then I slept (laughs) all Sunday until I went to work you know it just it's when we originally started doing this top 10 before it actually was given to me we were doing them on Saturday night and to me that felt so normal but since we've been doing them Sunday morning, it feels weird to do a podcast on Saturday night and also not to do the top 10 Sunday morning. It's now my routine. It's how I start my Sundays. You get up, make coffee, you do the podcast, and then you have the rest of your day. But last Sunday was a little a little strange for me. But I think last Sunday is actually when I saw Ford versus Ferrari. So at least I was... Uh, I was doing that. <laughs> you were putting your day to good use. It, it was amazing, by the way. Anyone who wants to go see a movie in the theater and make sure that they're seeing something that they're going to enjoy and walk out of the movie theater, you know, just feeling, like, really satisfied, I think that Ford versus Ferrari is definitely a movie for you to go see. But our top 10 is actually the top 10 TV shows of 2019 so far. I should say so far because 2019 is not over with yet. And we still have some really awesome shows that are coming out with new seasons. I mean, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel is coming out early December. Uh, Netflix's The Witcher is premiering in December. So I do understand that we are not at the end yet, and there are some shows that will would have probably made it to this list, but I was so excited to talk about my favorite TV shows of 2019 that I just couldn't wait. So thus uh, is the conclusion as to why this is the top 10 TV shows of 2019 so far. Now, this means shows that have premiered and also shows that have put out new seasons in 2019. I'm really excited. This means any sort of show, right? One that came out on cable, Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, whatever. It all should be included. And we talk about a lot, Brittany, like movies, right? You know, the best movies of 2019, the best this movie of 2019. But I in general, I'm much more of a TV show person than I am a movie person. I'll sit there and say, you know, oh, well, I don't have the mindset to sit down and watch a two, two-and-a-half-hour movie, but yet I will binge-watch six or seven hours of a TV show in one sitting. So 
it's uh, it's just very much my train of thought when it comes to my viewing pleasures, if you will. But we are doing the top 10 TV shows of 2019 so far, and I guess we should just dive right in. Brittany, what's your number 10? You know, um, I'm going to sit there. I was torn, but I think I'm going to start it out with uh, Steven Universe because I freaking love Steven Universe, and I know it's not exactly like the TV shows that we would normally, like, watch together, but that cartoon is amazing, and it always teaches, like, such a lesson with it. Uh, especially for, uh, I guess, how to be more accepted. That show always has, like, a moral lesson to it. Like, they even had an episode of how to deal with, like, abusive relationships in it. Of course, they do it in, like, a child-friendly manner, but uh, whether it had to do with depression or, like, codependency or um, there was even an episode about like accepting oneself and I know it's a kid show but it feels like even people like my age like fawn over it and they had a new season which they had a movie too but you watched part of the movie with me when I was showing you the songs which of course the songs are like my favorite part of the entire show but it was made by Rebecca Sugar I believe and she, I almost said Rebecca Black, and I was like, no, this isn't Friday. This is not the Friday song. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I know. I had a moment where I was like, Rebecca Black. But, uh, and I know you watch, you haven't watched the actual show with me. I know I've showed you certain clips, whether or not it was the songs. But, uh, you know, this season dealt a lot with, you know, a lot of, uh, shows or movies have the de- the dead mother trope where the mother was like this like godly figure like never did anything wrong is mostly remembered as an angel but the big twist with Steven Universe is that Steven's mom started out very selfish uh, she caused a war because she didn't feel like she, she was getting enough uh, attention from her family so it is a very interesting twist, but I love Steven Universe. I was like, you know what? I'm going to start with Steven Universe for the first bit. I was going to say I aspire to be that dramatic starting a war just because <laughs> I'm not getting that <laughs> No, seriously. Um, I would not know anything about Steven Universe if it weren't for you. I think any time the two of us are together, whether I go to Arkansas or you come up here to New York, you are <laughs> uh, introducing Steven Universe clips to me, which is not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing at all. It's certainly, um, I like the concept behind it, right, that it is almost like, okay, I loved Adventure Time and Regular Show, you know, years Which ago. Which made by the same people. And I was going to say it very much has that feel to it. So I like that where it's not, say, an adult cartoon like uh, I, I consider Bob Burgers more of, say, like a more mature, even though it's not cursing or it doesn't have, like, vulgar stuff, say, like South Park or The Simpsons. I count Bob yeah. Burgers in more of a mature, like, section of cartoons so it's not like that it is a kids cartoon but it has these adult themes and I think what I really like about 
Steven Universe from what I've seen and what you have shown me is the lessons that it teaches about self-acceptance, um, how falling down doesn't mean that, say, you have to stay down or, you know, kind of understanding where other people are and respecting them, uh, you know, and their struggles and trying to maybe see things through their eyes. And, of course, the songs are really good, which always helps kind of send a message in kids' shows. And I love the LGBT factor in Steven Universe because you really don't see that with children's cartoons. And I think that's great because then you're raising a generation that doesn't see anything about the LGBT as being, say, abnormal. And that's really good uh, as a lesson for kids these days. And I think what's interesting is that they do get away with a lot. And, of course, they, like, and I know it sounds weird, but it's because, you know, Cartoon Network had some issues like, okay, uh, um, Legend of Korra, you know, the last Airbender series, um, you know, they had their first uh, bi character, and they did have her end up with a woman at the end. But what's good about this is that you've had plenty of times where like that two characters kissed and yeah they're an alien race but they do identify as a female I, I guess like some I never in the show have any of the alien race you know the gyms the uh, the people from like the gym world uh, I, which I can't remember I think that's what they're called but Never have I seen, except for maybe one that identified as male, but they're all female, and you've had them kiss. There was a marriage in it between two of them. You know, uh, there is obvious love connections between them um, that I found very interesting that there was kissing, there was marriage, and it was between two obviously female characters. So it was like, wow, they, they got away with it without people just causing an absolute fit. It is good that uh, Cartoon Network hasn't censored anything like that. <laughs> I don't know why it just reminded me because, you know, I grew up during the tsunami stage of Cartoon Network, and nothing makes me laugh harder than when you realize the dubbed version of Sailor Moon turned Oh, my gosh. Uh, <laughs> turned, uh, what was it, Sailor Uranus and Sailor Jupiter or whatever, uh, that they were like lovers in the Japanese version, but then they turned them into cousins, which when you watch Sailor Moon, they're very close, and you're like, I have cousins, and I'm not nearly that physically close to my cousins as these two are. Or um, there was one, like, bad guy, in Sailor Moon and in the Japanese version, he was a male, but a very flamboyant male. And in Sailor Moon, they were like, oh, she's a female. And it's like <laughs> Cartoon Network back then was very scared of airing stuff like that back then. Oh, yeah. Well, there was uh, two male villains that uh, that they had to change their dialogue because it was, it was so, um, well you know, gay, and it, they had to change it and make them, like, more of a friendship. Oh, that's kind of like a Card Captor. Do you remember Card Captor? Uh, or, like, Card Captor Sakura or Sakura Card... I can't remember how to say it. Um, there was two uh, 
male characters that were obviously gay and that their relationship kind of like took over the show and a lot of people talk about it but in the English version I think they were just uh, a very intense friendship and I'm like (laughs) you literally have him like pinning the other guy up against like the tree I'm pretty sure that friends don't do that if you did that to me I would probably punch you so I don't friendship thing that is like uh very um very uh very dominating um relationship i will say that um animes are definitely censored like a shit ton when they go to say like american channels because tsunami also um premiered Outlaw Star, which is one of my favorite animes of all time. And when I got the box set to watch it at home, like, so many of the female characters are topless, and they, like, show, like, boobs, and it's, like, obviously, you never you never see that on the Cartoon Network version of it, and it's like, oh, okay. Oh. <laughs> but, Have you um, noticed that they got a lot of, like, you know, it's funny because Japan still actually, you know, has some issues with, like, homosexuality. And it is interesting that in a lot of the older animes, they, uh, you know, okay, in the newer stuff, they'll sometimes make these relationships, like, jokes, like, you know, like a running thing. But, like, back then, especially 90s, 80s, they were very, like, no, they are lovers. And, you know, yeah. they may not have explicitly showed it. But I just feel like back then, even though they probably had more of an issue with it back then, I guess they uh, they had an easier time showing things. Well, it's kind of like in Dragon Ball Z, like, you'll notice that they don't care about nudity. In Dragon Ball, you see, like, Goku's junk. Like, even though he's yes. a child, so obviously. You see his junk. You see Bulma's tits at one time, I'm pretty sure. But I think she's, like, 13, 14, so that's it, weird. It, and you have Master Roshi, Ball. like, lusting after her. Yeah, in Dragon Ball. It's, like, weird. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I mean, Master Roshi was a pervert, and they always, like, showed that. But um, we're getting off off. A little off track and everything, but I love that you picked Steven Universe to top off this 2019 TV show list, um, and I am sure that next time we see each other, you will have a plethora of new videos to show me about Steven Universe. Oh, of Universe. course, of course. <laughs> I'm going to take number nine, and realistically, it should probably be a little further down on my list, but I wasn't like, this wasn't, say, my favorite season of the show, but I have to put it on the list because if it is not, if it didn't have the audience that it should have had while it was on, it is damn sure going to have an audience on my list. So it is going to be iZombie Season 5. Um which it's so funny, you know how there's that meme now online where people are, say, like retweeting things and they're like, I'm going to tell my children that. Have you seen that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so Raul um, Coley, who plays Ravi on iZombie, like retweet a picture of Ravi and Liv. 
And he goes, I'm going to tell my children that this wasn't canceled. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> oh, no. Um, oh, no. You know that iZombie has been a show that has been very near and dear to my heart because of how utterly underrated it was. Um, there are plenty of shows that, say, got, like, more of a mainstream popularity that pretty much had the same concept as iZombie. And I didn't ever understand why iZombie didn't have that sort of, you know, blow up. And I think it was because everyone on the show necessarily wasn't like huge household names. Like my example always will be iZombie, the concept, right? Liv is trying to live a normal life, but she's a zombie, so she has to eat brains, right? And the fandom is very like small, but... Then you had, say, that uh, Santa Clarita Diet that ran for three seasons on Netflix with Drew Barrymore and Timothy Oliphant, where she was essentially a zombie who, like, ate people. And people, like, loved it. They talked about it. It got, like, so much, like, blow up and everything. And I'm like, the only reason why is that it was Drew Barrymore and Timothy Oliphant. But Which is funny because my mom hated that show, and she was so excited for it. I hated it, too. It was terrible, but then again, I don't think that Drew Barrymore is the best actress, but that's a conversation for another time. Ooh, drop um, the mic. <laughs> but, um, so, obviously, like, season five wasn't, say, my favorite season. Uh, that season probably will always be season two for me, because I just think it was the best season in iZombie, but I love this show so much. It. First of all, when season four was happening and all the other CW shows were getting renewed, they took so long to renew iZombie. And I remember at the time on Twitter, there was like a hashtag going around, like hashtag renew iZombie. Like, even though our fandom wasn't necessarily the biggest, we were definitely mighty, you know, we would get that shit trending. And finally they were like, okay, it's renewed for a fifth season. And so much joy coming from that. Like, yes, we finally get confirmation that a new season and then maybe a few days later they're like oh it's going to be the last season and it's like like yeah five seasons are good it certainly is more than say daredevil or the punisher ran but still (laughs) i know i know um but freaking you know that that sucks there was still so much you know more story that could have went into it but they really I liked how in the fifth, at least they knew that the fifth season was going to be the last season. So Rob Thomas, the creator, was able to prepare for it. And we had so much revisited, right? We now see what Seattle is with pretty much is this, like, tension-filled um city at this point because in the previous season, Chase was killed. So you have Major as the leader essentially um the outside america doesn't want to help them and it pretty much is just like a bomb ready to go off you have a group of people who hate the zombies who want to kill them and you know wipe them out and pretty much live stuck in the middle where she essentially has to choose like who's she going to side with is she going to side with her fellow zombies or she's going to side with the humans and i feel like since the end of season two, that's something that Liv has always had to contend with um, now that the zombie population was so huge. But 
I loved it. I loved them finally revisiting, say, Blaine as the bad guy, right? Because Blaine was the bad guy in the first season, but in the seasons after that, he kind of treaded as the guy that isn't really, say, that bad, but with really bad morals. Um, and then finally in season five, it's like, no, you were a child killer. You're going to pay for everything that you've done. And I, you know, I kind of love the way that it ended. I still have my feelings about Liv and Major ending up together, but I'm happy that oh, everyone lived. I'm happy that everyone lived. I'm happy that uh, Robbie and Peyton got married. I'm happy that everybody uh, lived. lived. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but I'm happy that Clive and um, that, oh God, what was her name? Dale were able to get married and have children. So, yeah, I was very happy about all that. Again, the only, like, two things that I probably wasn't that happy about was Liv and Major ending up together and the fact that Blaine's, like, conclusion was really rushed. He was pushed into a well, and that was about it. But, hey, at least he's, quote-unquote, alive, and in fan fiction, I can pretend that he got out of that well. So there you go. Uh, iZombie Season 5 is going to be my contribution to the number nine. Brittany, what do you think about my pick? I think it's great, but I'm just, like, sitting there. I'm like, okay, he's stuck in a well. Can he not at some point, if he starts to rage out, like, have the strength to pull himself up out of the well by using, like, I feel, I feel like my brain goes way too far into it, but that's just my assumption for it. Man, I remember, like, how long you have loved this show. Like, for the entirety of our friendship, I remember you coming to Arkansas, and we went to the Comic-Con way, and you were like, uh, I was sitting there, I was like, is that Liv? And you looked over, and you were just so excited, because you were like, we are so small, but we find each other. I I have loved your obsession with this show. I know that I never quite got into it like you did, which is funny because most things that we like, we both end up liking, which I did like it. But I do feel bad for Blaine, but Blaine kind of, like, made his own bed. I'm like, okay, you know, you could have done all of this, you know, scratching, you know, rich people, but then you started killing children and, you know, there's only so much we can forgive, but uh, I guess it's kind of like, okay, he does have to pay for his crime, but I just sit there, and I'm like, Liz did kind of fall down towards the end, where I'm like, girl, you know, I get it, but why are you scratching people? You know, you already have a problem, like, with the overpopulation of the zombies and even being able to feed them. But you're all, like, on your moral high horse about, oh, we have to scratch him, you know, we're going to nice them. And I'm like, Chase was right. Chase was right. And he may not have oh, yeah. always went around it, but I'm like, okay, y'all y'all caused a very deep problem. And then they're like, oh, but he killed that old lady. That old lady was scratching a whole bunch of people. Yeah. I, I will always say hashtag Chase was right. Um Chase did nothing wrong. Chase did nothing wrong. I wish Chase was in the fifth season. But the cool thing about the fifth season is Enzo, who is like the number two to Chase, the French guy, 
uh, ended up being kind of, like, really badass in season five, whereas in season four, he was kind of more of, like, say, the comic relief. He goes, like, oh, with his funny French accent, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's, like, but to me, um, Robbie never stopped being freaking awesome. Like, he still was just probably the best thing about that show because of his friendship with Liv and his dedication to helping out the zombies, helping out, you know, find the cure. I mean, he was all... He was always with that mission. It never stopped, no matter what. Like, he wanted to make sure that there was a cure. And what I liked about it was the whole show, Liv wants the cure desperately, but she's always giving it away to other people, right? She, uh, there was, in the first season, she stabs Blaine with the cure to make him human. She gives it to Major once, you know, she scratched him to save his life. And then uh, at some point she's given the cure again and she decides to give it to Dale so that Dale and Clive can marry and Dale can be human so that they can have children, right? She's always given the cure away. And then finally Rob comes out, Robbie comes out with an actual cure cure, but she chooses instead to remain a zombie because, you know, that's just, that's her now. And she's realized that. I, I like that. I like what the show did in just wrapping a lot of things, you know, up in the fifth season. Liv's mom came back and still just as much of a bitch as she was when we first met her, um, which kind of glad about that, that she, they didn't have, like, a happy reunion. I'm sure that other people were like, oh, we want, and I'm like, no, no, she was a bitch. Like, good, Liv, you saw that you didn't meet her. She's not your family. Your family actually is. Robbie, Peyton, and Clive, you know, and Major. So Did her I brother like, ever forgive her for not doing the blood transfusion? I mean, so that's the thing. It's like, it wasn't like necessarily, it was that he got sick because of the blood transfusion. Like his health isn't the best. So pretty much it was like, uh, do one last good thing for your family and help smuggle them out. So Liv helped smuggle her mom and brother out of Seattle because that was the thing like she was scratching people who were sick but she was also helping actual humans to get out of Seattle as well so she did that so it was one of those things where it's like it's not necessarily like they made up or they were like you know happy-go-lucky it's kind of like well you owe us type of thing but I like that Liv like stood up for herself you know if I would have said something back then, I mean, how the hell would you have reacted? It wouldn't have been a good thing anyway. So I don't know. I liked iZombie, you know, overall happy with the way that it ended. At least Rob Thomas didn't kill Liv the way he killed Logan in Veronica Mars season four. Oh, walking up to like, (laughs) what was it? Listen, um, that ending, I think, has caused such a backlash at Veronica Mars that whereas we were seeing reports that Rob Thomas and Christian Bell, Kristen Bell were planning, say, to do a fifth season, and I think after such the backlash, Rob Thomas has said that he, like, has no intention of doing a fifth season. And I'm like, well, you shouldn't have killed arguably the, you know, most popular character of that show. But oh uh, yeah, yeah, just because you didn't know where to go with their relationship. Exactly. But my so yeah, I zombie number nine. Brittany, what's your number eight? 
Okay, I'm going to pick this one, and you're going to be frustrated because I never actually finished this season, which I need to, but I feel like it deserves to be on this list. I'm going to go with The Punisher because it was our final season, Gia. It was the, uh, at least we um, technically got three seasons, if you want to count. What was it, Daredevil season two? Daredevil season two. Yeah. yeah, which we call Punisher season one, which is so bad because I still call the first Punisher series, like uh, the first season of the Punisher, I call it uh, season two on accident a lot. So I do love it because you do get to see that softer side of Frank Castle. You do get to see him like actually have like a halfway loving relationship in it. And that you do see he's kind of not completely moved on, but you think about in both with Daredevil and season one of Punisher, he was very, like, not capable of having any kind of uh, relationship with another woman or really other people. You know, he could have his friendships, but he was he was a broken man. And you do get to see in season two he has healed quite a bit. You know, he has had time to come to terms and I think especially uh since he did kill the man responsible for um you know basically what happened to him that it was able to be able to move on I will say um I do love that a lot of people had a hang-up about um who's the woman he sleeps with at the very beginning what is her name again do you remember oh I don't remember now but people were like, okay, they slept together once, they just met, and she's already like, oh, who are you? You know, and like curled up with him, very like getting attached, and they're like, don't stick your dick in crazy. But she does really sweet. But we, we ship Karen, and we, we, sh- we ship the castle with a K in this household. But I do dread that they always bring in this young female character to be like the daughter figure and she's always like too spunky too feisty too overly dramatic and wasn't she picked by the same girl that played the castiel's daughter is that correct in my head no 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 uh so i want to interrupt you for two seconds there i want to say that i felt the same way about amy at first but she really like she became endearing as the season went on. Like, then she, because she was, like, really spunky and all that, like, right out the game. I'm like, wow, she's really annoying. But, you know, Frank doesn't take shit. So I think he was, like, the perfect person to kind of deal with that type of a, a teenager. And they ended up having, like, a really good bond. So whereas I started out feeling like that, I then, like, really liked her and really wished that she had, like, stuck around, you know? Yeah, like, I will say, I I hope that she would grow on me. I do need to finish the season because that was when I was working out and everything, so I didn't have much time for television shows, which now I have all the time in the world. But, um, but no... I enjoyed it. I did get, I did like getting to see that softer side of Frank to it. First of all, Brittany, I'm so mad at you for not finishing that season because I arguably liked 
season two better than season one. And I know to some people, like Juwan will forever say that he thought that the second season was weaker, but to me, the second season was stronger. It didn't really have to build up. It, like, blew up right away. Uh, I liked his little, like, brief affair with that one girl because I think that that was sort of needed for him to kind of maybe slowly move on from Marie and the death of his family. Uh, I like, you know, Frank Castle, like, I like that he was still who he was, but you could see the growth from, say, the second season of Daredevil, whereas he was completely callous, completely removed, and seeing him more in, like, a human sense and maybe what he would have been like prior to Marie and his children, you know, death, but death, but I loved it. I love this season. Oh, you missed so much for not finishing. I know. This season. I know. I mean, like, I was thinking about the other day, I don't know why. It was such a great scene because remember Brett Mahoney, the cop who was always in Daredevil? You know, he's the yeah. one in the he's the one in the second season of Daredevil who ends up arresting Frank Castle. And he's kind of like a constant also in The Punisher. Like remember in The Punisher season one, he's interviewing Karen and he's like, What happened? you know, and Karen's like, you know, I'm not gonna tell you. Um, yeah. And he ends up like Brett Mahoney ends up fighting with Madani about because Madani now at this point is like 100% on Frank Castle's side. And there's at some point where Brett and Frank end up in a cop car together or like an ambulance. Uh, they end up rolling over pretty much. Uh, Frank saves Brett because he does end up walking away from the overturned vehicle at first, and then he realizes that if he leaves Brett in there, it's gonna blow up. And oh, then, no. And he saves him, and Brett is still like, you know, because Brett's the good cop, right? Like, not corruptible at all, the good cop. And he's like, I got to take you in, Frank. And Frank's like, I can't let you do that. He's like, I got to finish what I'm, what I'm doing right now. And Brett goes to point his gun at him, and he's like, you better stop, Frank. And Frank's like, he always has this moment where he's like, you do what you got to do, and I'm going to do what I got to do. He always says that. He always does that. Yeah, he says that. He's like, you do what you got to do. And Brett can't. And the best part is at the end of the season, right? I'm spoiling shit for you now, Brittany, because you have plenty of time. But at the end of the season. I don't care. At the end of the season, Brett, Madani, and Curtis are standing there. Because at this point, Curtis, like, because. The whole season is, you know, Frank and Billy, right? And Billy loses his memory and shit, reaching out to Curtis. And Curtis is like, I want nothing to do with this. I got a lady friend of my own. I'm trying to stay out of this, Frank. Like, you know, at this point, if you're going to kill him, just kill him and be over with it, right? So at the end, Brett, Madani, and Curtis are all standing there. And Brett goes, what about Frank Castle? And Madani and Curtis literally go, who? Amazing. (laughs) Best shit ever. Best shit ever. Yeah. I loved it. We we got so much more of Curtis in this season. Uh, that one episode with Karen and Frank was. If you are telling me that they weren't gonna kiss in that moment, if Amy hadn't walked in, I will 
freaking screen because they had their foreheads pressed up against each other. They were looking at each other. They were talking about what are you going to do after this? There's a life for you. And even Frank goes, oh. and Frank even is like, why don't you go? Why not go back to that guy Matt? You know, like he, he he's good for you. He's a good guy. And Karen's just looking at him like, shut up, you son of a bitch. I want us to be together. And it's like, oh. And even Amy walks in, and she's like, oh, this is cute. The best shit ever was that there's Frank, big, bad, tough Frank, and literally having both Madani, Karen, and Amy just scolding him, like, shut the fuck up and sit down. Like, we taking care of shit. And he's like, oh, hear me roar. I'm man. And they're like, oh, honey, no. (laughs) They're like, sit down. Take a second. (laughs) Take a second. Like, I loved it. I love that Madani dealing with her trauma over Billy and all that. Like, I will admit that it did suck that we never got Billy with his memories back so that at least he could grasp why Frank was after him. Because at some point, Billy is told, but he doesn't remember. So he doesn't grasp. But I like that it's like, it doesn't matter if he remembers or not, right? He still did the things that he did. It's like just because you can't remember doesn't mean that you shouldn't pay for them. And that was the whole thing. And, you know, Frank was conflicted because he loved Billy. They show plenty of flashbacks in the season. And at the end, Frank has to kill him. as Because a lot of people are like, oh, that was so anticlimactic. He killed him so quickly. I'm like, Frank had to. If he sat there. They put him down like a sick him, dog. Exactly. Yeah, Billy was dying at that point. He definitely wasn't going to make it. And it's like, at that point, he put him down, and he knew that he had to do it quickly because, A, that wasn't the Billy that he remembered, and, two, he knew that if he didn't, he would never. Because Curtis even points it out. He goes, he is like, are you, pretty much, I forget what the exact thing he says, but it's pretty much like, you can't do it. Like, do you feel that you need to do this so quickly because, you know, you really want to kill him or it's because you just have to get it over with because, you know, you are going to sink and sit there and want to listen to Billy. So I loved it. Frank's like, Frank's like, uh, all I was going to say, it was so like, Frank's like, I don't need to be heard this right now. You're being too real. Uh, Curtis laid into him this season. He was like, bitch, you're going to listen to what I have to say, but you messed up. I love their friendship, and I love that Curtis got more into the action in the set. But the fight sequences were great. The gun fights were awesome. Like, I love that shit. Um, I don't know. And we got to see John Bernthal's ass in, like, the first episode. I mean, come on. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I'm just saying that I felt like it ended really well. Like, of course, did I want the Punisher to get canceled? No. Am I still sitting there hopeful that Kevin Feige is going to bring John Birdfall back as Frank Castle in some sort of capacity? Yeah. Is that unreal- unrealistic? Probably. But I'm going to sit here and still believe, right? But I still think that Castle with a K happened because we saw them fucking just pr- if Again, last thing before I move on, but if you're sitting there telling me that they weren't talking about their future together in that hospital bed, then you wrong. Okay? You wrong. <laughs> like, you're wrong and you should feel bad. They, 
did you see that scene, that episode? They were like sitting there talking about I'm the future. Good. They were sitting there talking about the future. Karen pretty much telling him, like, stop your shit. I can deal with whatever you fucking throw at me. Like, you think I you think I'm like so pure of heart? You think I had a freaking lovey dovey childhood? No, I can handle your shit. And even Frank knew that Karen's been through shit. So, you know what? Boom. Yes. Okay. Punisher Boom, season two. Like... Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go on, like, a three-hour tangent if I keep going, Brittany. So, I think it's best that we move on. <laughs> do it, girl. Do it. And it's funny because um, I was almost going to put the Punisher season two on this list because I was looking at my list of everything that I put down, and I was like, oh, shit. The Punisher came out, because you know what it is? I, like, forgot that any of the Marvel Netflix shows came out in 2019, because all I was thinking about was Daredevil Season 3, and I'm like, no, that was 2018, and I was like, wait, Punisher came out in, like, January. I did that with uh, the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, because uh, the second season, yeah, it was December 5th, it was, like, right on the cusp. Oh, believe me, I would have loved to put that. I looked. That was, like, the first thing I looked. I was, like, and I was, like, oh, as soon as I saw 2018, I was, like, damn it. I was, like, like I would love oh, No, no. We got to 2019, okay? Um, okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> and like, and then the rest of this freaking uh, podcast is us just saying stupid ways to say okay. 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 <laughs> And oh, my suddenly, God. Suddenly, Cardi B is suing me because I said her stupid way of saying okay. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know how to say it. My tongue does not roll like that. I've tried, okay? All right. Moving on. Let's Moving see. on. What, what do I got here? Uh, all right. So, I'm going to do... Okay, this should probably be a little higher on because it is literally, like, taking everything by storm. But I'm just going to put it in this little spot here just because we all agree that this list isn't in any particular order. I am going to do Fleabag Season 2. It came out in 2019. I was going to say, I put it on my list, too, but I thought you would have put it up higher, Tia. Well, that's what I said is that, you know, it, it, you know, this list isn't in order or anything like that. And I have other shows too that I want to put down. I'm sorry, Brittany. Would you like me to retract this so that you can put it down? Do it, do it, do it. Okay. So Fleabag season two uh, is a show on Amazon Prime for those who don't know. And it is by Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who also stars as the main character who you never find out what her actual name is, you just refer to her as Fleabag. No one in the show refers to her as an actual name at all. But if you look at, say, the subtitles, it'll be like Fleabag is talking. Um, And this show is hilarious because it is like true epitome, first of all, of British comedy. And each episode is only two, uh, not two, wow. Each episode is only like 30 minutes long, right? The whole point is that so we have the main character, Fleabag, and her father and her uh, 
godmother are getting married. And she originally was very much like, say, the black sheep of the family, because in the previous season, she made a big deal over the grandmother. uh, Wow, what am I talking about? The grandmother marrying the father, right? Because that's literally her godmother, uh, who was best friends with her mother, who is now deceased. And the godmother tries to act as if, like, they're not the daughters of the father, you know? She'll be like, oh, welcome. Would you like to know where the bathroom is? And Fleabag's like, yeah, we grew up in this house. We know where the fucking bathroom is. Um, yeah. And then Fleabag's uh, freaking relationship with her sister Claire is destroyed because Claire's husband kissed Fleabag. And when Fleabag tries to tell Claire, Claire was like, oh, well, my husband told me that you kissed him. Um, and obviously Claire knows that her husband is a scumbag, but I think for the sake of like holding their marriage together, she like essentially takes his side at first. So really just bad, uh, bad tension all around, but everyone tries to grin and bear it because the father and the godmother are getting married and (laughs) they have uh, a priest who is going to marry them played by Andrew Scott was only known as the hot priest. Now, Fleabag, and, who and is he the hot priest? Yes, he is. Yes, yes, he is. We have Fleabag, who is a uh, self-identified atheist, so it makes for a very uh, unique friendship, and they do embark on this friendship, Fleabag and the hot priest. Um, and eventually, it turns into a very forbi- forbidden romance, and neither of them can resist. So we have that going on. We have uh, Claire obviously unhappy with her husband and Claire and Fleabag trying to essentially, like, become sisters again and dealing with the father, getting married to the godmother and all of that is such an and, ethically And, and awesome. Fleabag orgasming, orgasming how many times? Oh, I was going to get to that. I was going to get to that. So the whole thing with, like, Fleabag, right, is in the first season, you know, she has a lot of, like, sexual relations with different men because she is feeling very unfulfilled. So in the second season, she's trying to not, right? She's not, she's trying to not be with so many men just, uh, like, willy-nilly, right? But... And I think that's why she comes to, like, this relation with the hot priest because it's like, you know, he obviously has vows of chastity and she's trying to, you know, be good essentially. But it's this draw between them. But she can't be with him, obviously, because he's a priest. And so they have, like, this sexual tension that doesn't, like, go anywhere at first. But then Fleabag ends up with, what does he call it? The hot misogynist or something? Yes, um, the hot misogynist. So this hot misogynist is, and literally that's what he's called. Like when Brittany and I are calling them these things, this is not us making up the the names. It is literally what they are called. Um, so you have the hot misogynist who is the lawyer to Fleabag because Fleabag in the first episode ends up punching Claire's husband in the nose, which he very much deserves, um, because at the at the dinner in the first episode, Claire ends up having a miscarriage in the bathroom. She doesn't want to go to the hospital, 
So Fleabag ends up making it up that she has a miscarriage, just so it could be like, hey, sister, come with me to the hospital, but then, you know, then Claire will get checked out instead, right? And the husband, who can't help himself from being an alcoholic douchebag, goes, well, the baby clearly just didn't want to be born. Or some shit like that. Like, something, like, really like, fucked basically up. blaming her for the miscarriage, even though he assumed it was her. Yeah, he was like, oh, he was like, you know, oh, of course, like, you know, you, who, you know, is very promiscuous and sleeps with everyone, like, of course, blah, blah, blah. And so uh, Fleabag ends up punching him in the nose. He wants to sue, so they need a lawyer. So that's where you have the hot misogynist. And Brittany, I think I showed you this scene, but it is literally my favorite scene where Fleabag is sitting there with Claire and the hot misogynist. And, okay, and the whole thing also with Fleabag is that she looks at the camera and, like, makes comments, right? She breaks the fourth wall. And they're, like, they're, she's, like, listening to Claire and the hot misogynist talk, and she's, like, oh, they slept together. Oh, no, they didn't sleep together. Oh, but they want to. No, I right saw now. that. I love it. <laughs> so the whole thing is that the hot misogynist and Fleabag end up sleeping with each other, and then uh, Fleabag's going to go out on another date with this guy, but just as she's expecting him to come to the door, the hot priest comes, and they're trying to talk, have this really meaningful talk, but then the hot misogynist does ring the bell, and he's like, I'm ready. And she ha- and Fleabag has to, like, you know, pretty much get rid of him. So she's like, I'm not feeling well. Or, you know, my priest came over. I got to comfort him. And he's like, oh, well, was I bad? You know, are you just trying to blow me off? And she's like, no, no, you were really good. And he's, like, still like, no, no, I think you're lying. And she's like, you were the best sex I ever had. I orgasmed nine not joking that's why she's she likes joking. it so much <laughs> that's the thing is like she's not joking at all and you and then he leaves oh wait doesn't the hot massage just like hold her face and he's like you're a saint <laughs> yes and he's like you're a saint and then he like walks off and he's like nine times like so himself. <laughs> he's, and then so then the hot priest like overheard and he's like wow Wow. <laughs> oh my God. But I can talk forever about the show. It is so good. Brittany, what are your thoughts about what I showed you from Fleabag? It was a wild ride. And what's awful is that the sister's husband, he's like, oh, of course you were able to make this about yourself. After she just like said that she had a miscarriage. Like, like, even though she didn't, even just, like, how much he doesn't care. Like, he's such an asshole. And what's sad is the only reason he really hates her is because she went to the sister like, he kissed me. And it's like he blames her for it. And it's just, like, so disgusting. I hate it. But you know what makes it all better? The, uh, the confessional scene. Where, uh, yes, um, spoiler alert, um, she goes with the priest. What? We said said so many things that are spoils. You don't got to say spoiler alert. I know. Uh, Basically, Fleabag and the hot priest, uh, she, they, she's never uh, confessed before. I don't believe, right? She's never done a confessional before. 
It's always called a confession. I don't know. I'm not Catholic, Tia. I, I think they pretty much are alluding that she's never been to confession before. Yeah, yeah. So he's, like, showing her how to do it. And then, like, you hear the uh, – wasn't there, like, a lightning happen? Or, like, it was just, like, the, like, crazy, like, Catholic music as, like, he's, like, coming to her side and opens it. And she just got done saying something really emotional. And she was just, like, getting done crying. And then, and then, they did. <laughs> no, because, you know, she sits there and she's like, you know, I, I'm so, I think it's like she's pretty much saying, like, I'm so tired of holding myself up. I wish someone else could, like, hold me up, you know, like, tell me what to do. She's like, tell me what to do. And you hear him go, kneel. And she's just like, ah. what? And he's like, Neil, and then he comes and he opens up the curtain, and you're like, oh, "It's happening! It's happening!" Oh my god, I just remembered the kneeling thing. Tia, we need to talk about something about that later after the show. <laughs> but if you remember, they they end up making out, but they don't end up doing it because a picture falls from the wall and I think that the hot priest like pretty much sees that as God going, what are you doing? And so... <laughs> nice they God voice, Tia. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so they don't end up doing it until the hot priest comes over and then Fleabag has to shoo off the hot misogynist. And I love that every time she goes to like look off screen and talk to the fourth wall, he's like, where are you going? What are you doing? Stop that. And she's just like sitting there and they're both staring at each other. And he's like, we're going to have sex, aren't we? And she's like, yeah. And he's like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) He just accepts it. And he he hasn't been a priest for very long. No. The, The whole, like, you could tell and... I guess anyone who's British out there, please correct me, because it's, like, it's very much British humor. Because in the first episode, it's, like, um, they're at the dinner table, and the godmother is going to the hot priest, like, oh, you know, like, how does your family feel about you being a priest? And he's, like, oh, you know, I'm not very close to, you know, my brother, you know, blah, blah, blah. And she's, like, oh, is it because he's mommy's favorite? And he's, like, no, well, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, well, he's a pedophile. And everyone's just sitting there, and it's like, well. and he's like, oh, I'm aware of the irony of that. And it's like, oh, shit. All right. Oh, that is good. I always feel so bad because uh, me and Tia are, um, you know, we're from two opposite sides of the U.S., and everything around, you know, I live in the Bible Belt. It's all very uh, Baptist. Pentecostal, uh, Methodist, and, you know, where tea is from, it is very much like Catholic and uh, Jewish and all this stuff, and so sometimes it's like, I want to make all those jokes, and I'm like, oh no, I shouldn't, Tia may not like that. No, Brittany, we don't do that, we, in this house, respect people, but I know you're from the South, so you guys aren't used to that. Hey. Oh my god! Don't even at me. Don't even. Tia has the most brutal, just like cut your throat words. I don't even want to hear it. Whatever, whatever. But yes, 
Fleabag is amazing, deserves to be on this list, and I wish a third season was coming out, but Phoebe Waller-Bridge announced that, no, this is it. You know, she just did the second, and that's it for the show. But, you know, we can imagine that at some point uh, her and Hot Priest got back together and they stopped with their bullshit. But, yeah. Anyway, we should move on. Brittany, what's your number six? I'm going to go with, uh, even though I haven't finished it, which is a, is a common thing for me. <laughs> I was going to say, this is the second show that you're saying that you're like, I haven't finished it. <laughs> okay, let's be real for a second. So I I do have Netflix, but a lot of like Netflix shows hadn't been drawing me. And then, so I just now, well, not just now, just now, but I forget that I have Amazon Prime because I got it for free through uh, signing up with, which, not sponsored, but if you are going to college, go to Amazon Prime and put in your uh, school email, because if you do, they give you six months of Amazon Prime for free, and then it's like half price for every month afterwards. So, yeah, there you go. (laughs) Life tips. But uh, I haven't got to watch a bunch, a bunch of shows, especially all the way through. I have trouble sitting down and watching stuff. I, it's like I can't pay attention. And so then I end up missing a lot. But it's because, like, reading books, I get too emotionally involved. And it's like I'm protecting myself. I, I don't want to feel. I just want to be happy, which is a joke in itself. But, no, I'm just joking. Uh, I'm going to go with Chernobyl. I feel like this uh, TV series, which is kind of almost like a docu-series, uh, really took the world by storm, which it obviously follows, uh, I think we all know the story of, like, Chernobyl, how it's still radioactive from, like, the the meltdown that that place had, and, you know, which always terrified me because it was a nuclear plant, which my dad worked at a nuclear plant in Arkansas, and so I always go, man, that would really suck if that thing just melted down. But uh, just the bravery of the people that had to go in there and try to shut it down and, like, knowing that they're basically walking into instant death because, you know, and you think about, I can't remember which year this happened, but, you know, they didn't understand radiation quite like they do now that, uh, you know, we had understood some effects of it, but not just what it does to the human body of just walking into these places. And, uh, you know, the elephant foot, you know, like how these, um, I'm trying to think what they're called. Because um, basically the place was just starting to shut down, overheat. You have the workers in there that are basically getting so sick because it starts happening so fast because when you get radiation, uh, poisoning or the sickness from it, your hair starts falling out, your skin starts blistering, your uh, teeth start falling out. Like everything on you, it's like your body starts breaking down at like a molecular level, basically. Like everything starts deteriorating and just the horror of it. Like people just like starting to bleed and not understand why. And the officials uh, of it, We're like, no, 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 there's no way, you know, that it's melting down. You know, this is just a fire. I think at first they believe it's like a fire. They don't believe that, you know, it's just, it's literally having a meltdown, which I don't remember what caused it. But uh, 
you know, it is interesting that, uh, you know, I think, you know, when you look back at the history of it, uh, even the pictures that they took were, like, starting, like, you could almost not see the radiation, but see the effect that it had on the camera trying to take it, because radiation is, it's like carbon monoxide. It, you can't taste it, you can't see it, you can't feel it in the air. It's just on you, and I think that's so terrifying because you can't even expect it. But, uh, Tia, I don't know if you've seen uh, Chernobyl, but it is such a powerful show. And Which, really quick, can we talk about how these people are supposed to be, like, uh, Russian or uh, – I'm trying to think because I don't think it particularly takes place in Russia. I can't remember if it's Ukraine or what. But uh, why does everybody have a British accent? If they're supposed to be like <laughs> Russian, why? Why? Um, so I have not seen uh, the miniseries Chernobyl, which I should because it really did get a lot of um, like praise from people watching it. Um, it is in Ukraine, and. So I don't know if you know this about me, Brittany, and this may sound a little weird, but one of my favorite things is looking at pictures of abandoned, like, buildings and locations. And, yeah. no. I, okay. and I love looking at, like, photographs of Chernobyl because people do go in to take pictures. Obviously, they don't stay very long. Um, but the Chernobyl incident happened in 1986. And for anyone who doesn't know, there is actually a Twitter page called Chernobyl Status, and I have it in front of me right now. Uh, it says it'll take Chernobyl 3,000 years to be safe again. And currently, Chernobyl is 1.1000003074656% safe. So, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I just feel bad for the puppies that are there. Oh, don't tell me that. No. Oh, Gina. Okay. Have you heard the story of the animals? You're not allowed to hurt me this early in the morning. You stop that. We're talking about the show. No, no, no. It won't hurt you. It won't hurt you. It won't hurt you. It might hurt you a little bit. I don't believe you when you say that. Yeah, exactly. No, we're going to talk about the A lot of people, when they left Chernobyl... They had to leave behind their animals, so a lot of there's a lot of stray dogs. But there's all these cute, cute puppies that when you go, you're not allowed to touch the puppies because they may be radioactive. Which they're working on trying to like spay all these animals so that they stop overpopulating and work on you know because they're discovering they're afraid that like you go there and there's all these cute, fluffy puppies and you can't touch them and they run up to you. And you, like, want to hold them, but you can't. And they're just so excited to see you. And it breaks my heart that they're working on, like, they don't think that they're really, like, actually, like, radioactive, radioactive. Because these dogs aren't, like, mutated or anything. So they're thinking maybe they have a way to, like, clean them in a way that they can, like, ship them out of Chernobyl and make sure that they get adopted. Which I really hope so. Mm -hmm. So thank you for that, Brittany. But uh, you're welcome. <laughs> I haven't seen Chernobyl. I heard it's really good. I heard that it's just a mini series. They're not coming out with like a second season or anything like that. That is funny that you said that they all have British accents. 
I guess you can say, like, the same thing for whenever there's, like, an American-made movie and they're, like, say, in China. And it's like, hey, why is there only white people in this movie? Like, what yeah, is yeah. going on? And so um, I guess that's just one uh, one mishap on the show's uh, whole thing. But I love that you picked this. I was not expecting it at all. It's on HBO. Um, and I do have access to HBO, so it definitely should be something that maybe I check out at some point when I have the time. And um, I don't know how many episodes there are, but considering it's a miniseries, I can't imagine many. So it'll be a good thing to watch. I heard it's just really intense. And, you know, sometimes you're just not expecting that. Like, that's still the reason to this day why I, I love how I say to this day when it's a show that I literally just discovered like maybe two months ago, but, um, but it's the reason why I still haven't like watched the final season of Hoth and Catch Fire. Cause I'm like, I know what happens. I don't want to hurt. No, we don't talk about it. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, but, um, I love that you picked Chernobyl it definitely deserves to be on this list because it has gotten a lot of good word of mouth and just a lot of praise. So awesome, Brittany. Love it. Thank um, you. I'm going to take the next spot. And all right, I'm going to pick one that I know you haven't watched, but you've listened to me talk about it enough. And it is still one of the best shows out there and more people need to watch it. And it's better than Titan. Sorry, everyone. It is Doom Patrol. Oh, yes. It is Doom Patrol on DC Universe. And if you haven't watched this show, because you don't have DC Universe, I guess that's okay, because not everyone does. But Doom Patrol Season 2 is coming to HBO Max when HBO Max comes out. So I'm sure that the first season will be there as well. So no excuses, anyone. Anyway, Doom Patrol is based on a comic of the same name, and you have a lot of crazy cast of characters, this show is just weird. And I love it about this show. I love how unapologetically weird this freaking show is. You have Brendan Fraser playing a former NASCAR racer who literally lost his body during an accident, and it now is just a brain in a robot. And not a very good-looking robot either. And you have Matt Bomer, who plays uh, Larry Trainer, who was a former uh, pilot, who now his body is full of, uh, you know, nuclear, like, energy and shit like that. Hey, nuclear, there you go. Um, yeah, and, and he essentially looks like the Invisible Man, like, wrapped up like a mummy. And then you have uh, Rita Farr, who used to be an actress, and because she slipped in a river and got, like, infected with some weird shit she can literally turn into a blob you have crazy jane who literally has 64 personalities and all have different powers and then you have cyborg and it's just this crazy show because it's like you have all these crazy characters right and you have alan tudyk who is brilliant as always and i have to spoil really quickly because we are we were told we are allowed to but the upcoming the upcoming Harley Quinn uh, cartoon on DC Universe that we were given access to and now we are allowed to spoil the fuck out of. Um, Alan Tudyk plays the Joker and he is probably just as good as Mark Hamill. So he's amazing. Oh, man, that's that's an intense uh, proclamation, Tia. 
I stand by it. But Alan Tudor plays, no- uh, plays Mr. Nobody in Doom Patrol, who essentially is this all-powerful creation, yada, yada. So anyway, you have all these people who are misfits living together, coming together under the same roof. They all have their different tragedies, their different backgrounds and everything. And you may sit there and go, this is too fucking weird. I don't want to deal with this. And let me tell you, it is weird. It is super weird. You have a talking purple horse head at some point. You have uh, the decreator who is uh, pretty much an eye in the sky that destroys people. You have freaking um, literally a character called Flex Montello that is able to telepathically do shit by flexing muscles. And literally at some point he makes everyone in a town have an orgasm. There is a sentient town called Danny the Street. It is weird. But on top of all that weirdness is, like, this really beautiful, like, story of self-acceptance and figuring yourself out because each of these characters were not necessarily good people before their accidents, right? And that's even explored towards the end of the series where they all have the opportunity to not be those type of people and they all choose to go back to the things that they have considered that have made them freaks, essentially, right? You know, uh, Cliff Steele, who's Robot Man, you know, wants to desperately be human, you know, who wants to be a robot, right? But then he realizes he wasn't a good person when he was a human, quote-unquote. Larry Trainer go back to his old ways? Well, yeah, okay, so there's at some point where Mr. Nobody, who, again, can literally manipulate time and space, like, gives them the opportunities to be the people that they once were. And as soon as Cliff Steele goes back to being uh, a human, he ends up fucking the nannies like he was doing beforehand. And he's like, what am I doing? Um, and then Larry Trainer, who, you know, was a pilot in the 60s, married with kids, who's really gay, and he's hiding who he is, and he's realizing that, you know, not only is he hurting himself, he's hurting his family by not being who he really is. And he's like, I've discovered more about self-acceptance, you know, being who I am now than I was back then. And even, like, my favorite thing, um, one of my favorite ones, like, Rita, okay, two things really quick. Rita Farr, who arguably was, like, my least favorite character in the show, became really, like, one of my favorite characters because she especially like, was very, um, like, selfish and into herself and realizing, like, that she is so much better. She has so much more potential than that, and that was really cool, like, seeing her transformation. And um, Crazy Jane, who has these 64 personalities, and she has these 64 personalities before she got the powers. And you see at some point she's in a mental hospital, and it's kind of like, okay, her life really never would say quote unquote better. Um and there's yeah. at some point and there's at some point where Hammerhead, who's one of the personalities, is like, no, we gotta get back to, you know, the way we were. And Jane is like, no, like it's better this way. And Hammerhead's like, you know, we have you know, at least we could fight back. You know, at least the powers gave us the ability to fight back. It's all about protecting the girl. Because you find out the reason why she has these personalities is because the original girl, this girl Kate, who was obviously in so many ways of showing it, was molested by her father. Um, and that's an amazing episode because 
Chris Heel obviously views Jane as a daughter figure and him like essentially going into the quote unquote underground and finding the, all, all the personalities and finding out what happened to Jane and why she is the way she is was absolutely amazing. I love Doom Patrol. Again, I love how unapologetically weird it is. Um, they just go balls to the wall. They're like, nothing's too much. We are going to be strange as shit. Um, but again, it's all about self-acceptance, all these characters loving themselves, finding out um, that they have a family, finding out that they have purpose. There's one, really quick before I pass it to you, there's one episode where you first find Danny on the street and you find out that, like, this one character who originally was supposed to, like, take Danny down um, ends up discovering who he is there, who is this beautiful fucking drag queen. And, they, and the drag queen has this fight at the end with another, like, agent. And the drag queen's like, you're never going to tell me not to be myself ever again or something. There's, it's so good. Oh, shit. I love, I love this show, and I can't wait for season two. So, Brittany, I know you haven't really watched it, but I know that you've heard me talk my head off about it. So what do you think of Doom Patrol? I was going to say, I love at the very beginning, very beginning, very first stuff that's happening is Mr. Nobody Goes, basically, that – this show is weird as shit. We're going to be lucky if it ever gets renewed. Oh, God, we're getting canceled. Like, it is very self-aware. Oh, oh I love how, I'm sorry to interrupt you, I love how self-aware Mr. Nobody's like, the critics are going to hate this. Who who cares about them? <laughs> yeah, he's like, people may love it. People may hate it. Oh, God, we're getting canceled. And I'm just, I love it. It's so funny. Uh, Flex being able to make everybody orgasm on accident and how apologetic he is for it <laughs> is like when he's like, oh, oh no, I flexed the wrong muscle. I'm so sorry. And everybody in this whole town is orgasming. And then Cliff decides to fake it because he just <laughs> wants to belong. <laughs> Doesn't Jane go, wait, how are you experiencing that? And he's like, I don't want to be excluded. <laughs> Because it's like, and then you find out, like, the whole thing with Alan, like, the whole thing with Mr. Nobody is that the reason why he's so burnt out on shit is because he was pretty much kicked out of the Legion of Doom. <laughs> oh, my God. And it is DC, so it's canon. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so he's, like, all, like, mad about that. And he decided to get this, like, experiment. And that's why he has the powers that he does and everything. And it's just, like, um, it's so ridiculous. And I thought, like, people love that, again, there's so much weird shit in the comics. And they, the show, like, doesn't care. They, like, adapt it. Like, there's some guy who gets transformed into, it was, like, dinosaur, animal, mineral man. And it's, like, the weirdest character because he literally has, like, a tree for an arm and then, like, a crystal for a leg and a raptor head. And it's, like, it's the weirdest shit, but the show decided to adapt it anyway. And it's, like, what is going on with the show? But it's so good because it's, like, all these here, like, these people who are clearly not heroes overcoming their bullshit to save people, like realizing that like they may not be ready for the world and the world may, may not accept them, but they will still help not destroy the world. And it is very like 
it is very much in the DC universe because they mention Aquaman, the Justice League. Like Cliff's like, oh, but Aquaman never has to blah blah, or it'll be like, oh, Justice League 2020, you know? Because like Cyborg oh is like. <laughs> It's like Cyborg's whole thing is like his dad is like, one day you'll be able to be in the Justice League. And it's like, Cliff is like, Justice League 2020. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, hopefully, Justice League 2020. It's better right. than. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. But um, I love Doom Patrol. Um, I know I keep saying that. It's just. It's just a good show. I, I I love it. I love the characters. I love Cliff's whole story, him, you know. And then when you find out, I guess I should say spoiler alert, but you find out that the person, the chief, who was supposed to be there for all of them, who has essentially nurtured them all back to health, is the person who was responsible for all of their accidents because he wanted to monitor how someone could say get immortality so that he could pretty much like help his daughter that he had with like a cave woman or something like that and there and of course the whole team is like you know Cliff is going my wife was killed and I lost 30 years of being with my daughter for this and Larry's like I have not seen my children ever since my accident Rita Farr you know, uh, had to stop being an actress, you know, all this shit um, because you wanted to be with your daughter. Like, Cliff is like, oh, your daughter? What about my daughter? Well, I'm depressed. Thanks a lot, Tia. You're welcome. But, yeah, that's my my pick for number five. Brittany, what is your number four? I'm going to have to go with, I know it's like, it should be further up, but it is down to my technical last two. I'm going to go with Stranger Things, and I'm sorry. I just really loved it. And I <laughs> refuse to believe that Hopper is dead. I refuse. Hop is not dead. <laughs> Hop is not dead. But, you know, we watched, uh, it, it's season three, right? I'm trying, I get the seasons mixed up. Not, it's not season two, it's season three. But... You have so much goodness. You have, uh, and don't mess around with Jim. But no. <laughs> uh, it's on season three because season three is like dealing with all that stuff, right? Like how yeah. much uh, Jim doesn't like, uh, is it Mike? Yeah. And how much he doesn't like him and Eleven together. And, you know, he's just like, you got to get home. You're uh, your grandma. What about my grandma? And getting him in the car. And he's like, well, basically, like, listen here, you little shit. And he scares the shit out of him. But you can tell that my whole reason for loving Stranger Things, I probably wouldn't even be interested in Stranger Things if it wasn't for Jim Hopper. Let's just be real. Let there be gas. Let there be everything but Jim Hopper. And that's why my uh, college algebra teacher, he's like, oh, I don't even like Jim. And I'm like, I don't even like you. I'm dropping out of this class. JK, I have a good grade on it right now. (laughs) But I just, What'd you say? How do you not like Jim Hopper? <laughs> I know he's the best thing, and he's like, I don't know, he's just kind of mean. Like, you know, I 
I'm Are sorry, but you, all, you you went in and out there. It was a that's all I heard. Girl, I said, oh, I, I, you want the audience to hear that? <laughs> nope. No, sure. Um, no, I was saying that he's like, oh, your gym's just kind of annoying. And I'm like, you're annoying. Oh, my God. No. Season three is definitely my best. It's my favorite season of Stranger Things. And hashtag, Jim is not dead. He is the American that you see. Uh, that you see the prison, like the Russian prison at the end of uh, season three of Stranger Things. That's him. No one can convince me otherwise. And when season four of Stranger Things comes on, I will tell myself that that's him, even if it's not him walking out the door. Okay? Uh, Season three. Season three of Stranger Things is amazing because you have Daddy Hopper being a daddy to Eleven, and she is a teenager now. She has a boyfriend. And all they do is make out, and it drives him crazy. He complains to Joyce, who, you know, she lovingly tells him, like, you got to talk to them. Instead of talking to them, he decides to threaten Mike. (laughs) I love that. Your grandma, oh, yeah, she's not doing good. Uh, And he's like, and I love when he gets into the car, and Mike at first is, like, yelling at him. And he's like, you follow my rules, and then maybe – I will allow you to continue to date my daughter. I'm like, <laughs> he but is so intense. He I, like what gets me is like Mike gets so big for his pants. I'm like he mm-hmm. just like pisses me off. And oh. so when you finally have scary Daddy Hopper coming in, Mike Mike sits the hell down. I hated him and Eleven's, like, romantic relationship in season three. First of all, like, they're teenagers. I don't need to see them making out so much. Like, what is this? <laughs> you know, like, uh, my uh, coworker um, was saying that his mom was like, what is this, kitty porn? Like, what the fuck? Oh, God. Like, why they, like, why are they making out all the time? But you have that. Uh, season three was the best for Hop and Joyce because they were such an old married couple in this season. I mean, you know, that there was this meme where it's like how not to talk to short people, like don't crouch down. And you have an image of Hop crouching down to talk to Joyce. Because he's so short and he's so tall and it's so good with each other. Like I love them. Like they loved each other. And it's so funny that the guy Murray, who plays the husband in Fleabag is the one that's pointing out to them, like, oh, my God, just sleep together already. You two know that you want to be with each other, you dumbasses. But, um, and they're so offended. And then the Russian guy is like, they haven't had sex? No. And they just start laughing. I love that with Alexi. And he because Alexi doesn't speak English, so he's like, oh, what was that? And Murray's like, oh, I was telling them that they need to have sex. And, and, and Alexi, like, they have no sex yet. I know, but that shit was so funny to me. Good I love it. I um oh, that was season two, but um I, I know, but like dealing with the sadness of it. Well, yeah, and they even show like a like there's at some point where Joyce is making dinner for herself and she's imagining Bob like sitting there on the couch. So there's I think like 
you know, not only is it one of those things where, like, her and Hoff have just known each other for so long, but she's also still dealing with the loss of Bob. But there is at some point towards the end of the season where Joyce is like, so let's go to Enzo's, you know? And it's so cute because she's like, you want to go at 8 o'clock? And he's like, oh, he's like, well, you know, I have to be home by a certain point because that's when me and Eleven watch this, like, TV show. She's like, okay, so we'll go at 7. And he's just like, oh, my God, he's a good daddy, but he also wants to go out with Joyce. And it's, like, so fucking cute. You know, and he sacrifices himself at the end, which, again, he's not dead, guys. He's not dead, all right? Stop it. He's not um, dead. But on top of, say, Hoff and Joyce's relationship, which, again, was, like, the best thing ever, but I did also like what they did with Billy's, um, like, storyline there, you know? I love how in the beginning of the, the season, you know, he's like the hot guy, you know, he's the bad boy. All the freaking like mothers like love him. And that one, uh, Mrs. Wheeler, Mike's mom, you know, he's like hitting on her and he's like, oh, Mrs. Wheeler, you know, blah, blah, blah. And she like considers like going out with him, but then she sees like, you know, she would be sacrificing like her husband, her family for it. So she decides not to. And then Billy gets taken over by the Mind Flayer, and you have that sub-story. And I love how, you know, I don't want to say necessarily that Billy was, say, redeemed in this season, but certainly more of him was exposed. Like, to me, it was such a beautiful, beautifully tragic scene when Eleven, like, discovered Billy's memories, and you see essentially how he was just a boy who um, was abandoned, not abandoned by his mother, but his mother, like, left, and his father, who was very abusive, remarried, and so he was not only forced to, you know, be in a house with an abusive father, but, you know, had to suddenly take care of this younger kid, Max, and then they had to move because of it, so, you know, it's just but all this... But you see that he loved Max regardless. And Max, as much as, like, they didn't get along, you know, they're always yelling at each other. Like, Max literally, like, beats the shit out of him in season two. Um, Because, you know, he was kind of racist. Like, he didn't like that she was with Lucas. And it's like, why didn't you like that she was with Lucas? You know? Um, Like, but you can see that they did love each other because when Billy sacrifices himself in the end, Max does cry for him. You know, she is, like, hovering over his body, like, crying. So it's, like, you had to have known that at some point Billy was, like, a good person. He just had a lot of inner demons. And I think that's maybe what made him so susceptible to being, like, taken over by the mind player. Well, I'm sad now. Thanks, Tia. (laughs) Yeah, it was on, it was your pick for this list. But yeah, I yeah. I love season three of Stranger Things. Loved the development of Hop and him truly being a father to Eleven. His uh, relationship with Joyce. I loved Alexi. I love that scene where Alexi really wants, uh, you know, what was it, cherry, a cherry Slurpee, but all they had was strawberry, and he's like refusing to cooperate until he gets the right Slurpee. And Jim literally like gives him the keys to leave, and and Joyce and Murray are like, "What's wrong with you?" And he's like, he knows that if he leaves 
you know, without a scratch on him, the Russians are going to think that he gave up information and that we're the safest bet for him. And he's so smug when Alexi literally comes back because Alexi realizes that very thing. He's starting to get nervous, though. He's like, any minute. Any minute. And George is like, get out of the way. We have to stop him. Um, which, again, that sexual tension, man, like, it was there. Like, I could feel that body language. And David Harbour in real life loves Winona Ryder. Like, I am very surprised that David Harbour is dating Lily Allen and not Winona Ryder at this very moment. I'm just saying, because in every interview, like, even the ones where Winona Ryder isn't around, he, like, chooses to say how much he loves Winona Ryder. And I'm like, okay, you two love each other, both on screen and off. Like, what is happening? Right, right. Like, just uh, just get together. At this point, right? But I love your pick for uh, your number four because it is amazing. I've watched the third season of Stranger Things over and over and over again, and it is perfect. Um, I'm going to hit the number three. And it is going to be Mindhunter Season 2. Oh, girl. This is another show that I recently got into that I wasn't originally into it once the first season came out. But then the second season came out, I decided to revisit it, then found out how much I really liked it. It's uh, by David Fincher. The whole thing is exploring the beginning of the behavioral science unit. And if you are into criminal minds, the behavioral analysis unit is based on the real-life behavioral science unit, uh, which are basically a subdivision of the FBI who looks to study serial killers and their mindsets and analyze them to help uh, the FBI and help people pretty much try to track down, you know, killers and even prevent crimes from happening. But... I just love the whole thing, the feel of it. I love the characters. Um, I love, like, how each of them are very different. I uh, like that you have Holden, who, you know, there's obviously, like, Holden very much kind of, like, identifies almost with these serial killers. Like, there's at some point where his partner, uh, Bill Tench, like, teases with him, and he goes, oh, what, are you looking for an autograph from one of them? And Holden's literally like, oh, that would be considered wrong if I asked for one, right? And it's like, oh, no. Yeah, it's like almost like a little, like, he finds them so fascinating, whereas, say, Bill Tench is um, very, like, tries to be removed because he is a family man and yada, yada. Um, and then you have, uh, I'm looking up the girl because I don't want to like, then you have Wendy, right, who she is um, a psychology professor. She comes in to help uh, the two really uh, observe these serial killers and everything. And I like in season two that you have her kind of going on more interviews herself. And Wendy is a very interested, interesting character because she is a closeted lesbian. And her, like, pretty much almost living, like, a double life because her coworkers don't know. Um, but then her also kind of trying to find a relationship in her current now, like, living occupation. So you have that. She's very, like, she comes up with the best lines, right? Um, 
there's one line that she says, and I forget what, like, came of it, but it was something, oh, they were trying to, like, figure out, like, the differences of, say, like, killers and what, why they kill, right? And at that point, like, they think that all of it is, like, sexually related. But she says that, like, you know, this one guy, like, kills someone within, like, 14 seconds. And she goes, it's hard to imagine that anything lasting 14 seconds could be considered pleasurable. And it's, like, just the savagery of, like, Wendy. Oh, man. I was, like, what does she mean? And I was, like, oh, oh, oh. like, she points out things, Sam, because, you know, I, I think this takes place in the 70s, so there is still that kind of, like, especially, like, with Bill, right? Not in a bad way, but he's, you know, very much a family man, like, you know, was a soldier and blah, blah, blah. So he has, like, different, uh, like, a mindset and opinion. They have one serial killer who really likes shoes, and he kind of, like, alludes, like, oh, well, that automatically, like, you know, like, like women's shoes, right? Like, oh, well, he's a cross-dresser, so, you know, blah, 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 and Wendy's like, no, cross-dressing has, uh, you know, occurred for many, many, many hundreds of years, and that doesn't mean anything deviant whatsoever, um, and I think that you are just threatened by anything that doesn't fit into uh, the category of masculinity that you identify with, like anything that threatens your masculinity, like she's very like, eh. like, they get yeah. another they get another character in the second season who pretty much, like, alludes to, say, like, homosexuality being, like, a mental disease. And she's like, no, that was removed from the list of mental diseases, you know, whatever year it was removed from. Like, she doesn't take anyone's shit is my pretty much way of saying that. But I like the second season where they go with it, the storyline, how they really visited a real-life case of um, – Oh, God, I forget what it was now, but there was this killer where, like, pretty much 26 black boys went missing, and they all started turning up dead. And, like, the police didn't want to – oh, it was um, it was uh, in Atlanta. And, like, the police didn't want to, like, look into it or anything like that. And it was like, how could you ignore so it? Messed like, up. It was so messed up. Well, you know, because, like, back in the day, the racism back then, also at the time – Atlanta had, like, its first uh, black mayor, and they didn't want that to look bad, and they were building the airport. It was going to be, like, the, you know, it's going to be the biggest airport in America. Like, they didn't want the bad publicity. And then, at the time, the person that they suspected as the killer is this black guy who's still in prison to this day. And that was, like, oh, well, you know, there's not really a whole lot of serial killers who are of color. And, like, there was just so much going on. So, like, them having to, like, get to the bottom of all of that. Um, and then, of course, you have what always impressed me with Hunter is their accuracy with their serial killers, right? You had Ed Kemper, who looks and talks like the real Ed Kemper. You have the guy um, from Justified who played Dewey Crow playing Charles Manson, which that's, like, the best scene ever because Ed Kemper tells them, like, oh, Charles Manson's really short. Don't make a comment about it. And fucking Bill Kemp is so pissed, and he's like, you fucking asshole, short midget motherfucker, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh, my God, Bill, what are you doing? Um, Bill, what are you doing? Bill, no, stop. But, yeah, I'm, like, rambling at this point. The point is my hunter's really good. It's very intellectually stimulating, very dark, very entertaining. Um, And the accuracy that they go, like, look at all of the people who play serial killers 
in the show, and they look identical to real-life serial killers. And they're exploring the whole B- the BTK killer in the first yeah. and second season, which I'm assuming hopefully we'll finally, like, see him in the third season. But anyway, Brittany, I'm so sorry for rambling. I know that you haven't watched this show, but have you heard anything about it? Um, would you like to make any comments about it? I was going to say, especially about Ed Kemper. Is it Kemper? I believe it's Kemper. It's K-E-M-P-E-R, so Kemper, yeah. Yeah, I know. I was having trouble pronouncing it. I will say, I love learning about serial killers, and I know that sounds awful, but I do find it very, like, morbidly fascinating. And what I was going to tell you, what I was trying to tell you that one time is uh, there was a true thing where a detective or someone interviewing Ed Kemper, uh, you know, he was, the detective was uh, done, right? I think he got scared of Ed Kemper and he was like, okay, you know, we wanted to leave. But right whenever he called for the guard, the guard had like went to the bathroom or like took a break or something. So the detective was trapped in there with him. And uh, he was like, and Ed Kemper was like, basically like, oh, you know, I could already have you dead before, you know, you, you before they could ever come back. You know, I'm bigger than you. I'm stronger than you. I could have you killed by the time the guard even got back. And what are they going to do? Put me life in prison? I'm already, like, basically playing like this mind game with the detective, which Ed Kemper never did anything. But it was, like, he's so smart, he knew exactly, like, oh, what had happened, like, instantly caught on that the guard wasn't, you know, opening the door instantly. And I did find it very fascinating. And Ed Kemper is, like, I know this is, like, a sub-point because there is so much else that goes on. He was smart enough to realize why he wanted to do things because, you know, he had such a rough life with his abusive mother that, you know, that they said that's why he killed, you know, young women. But after he killed his own mother, he turned himself in because he was like, well, it, it serves no purpose anymore killing people. You know, it, I've, you know, I did it because of my mother, but now that I've done it, killing really has no meaning and I don't want to do it anymore. So then he turned himself in and then was like helping other serial killers learn when to turn them in before like, they actually became killers while they still just had thoughts. And I was like, this is some, like, weird, messed up stuff. Well, because they say it, they explore at one point in the show where Ed Kemper is saying to um, both Bill and Holden, say, like, you know, there's plenty of people like me out there. You'll probably never catch them, blah, blah. And they're like, we caught you. And he's like, I turned myself in. He was like, if I didn't want to be caught, like, I would have just kept doing what I did and I know it sounds wrong but it's like the thing that interests I think Holden from the beginning is during their first conversation as Kemper calls killing a vocation he's like no one ever tells you like the physical strains of this vocation Holden's like no one's ever referred to it like that. And he's like, well, it's not a hobby. And it's like, uh, uh, it's a lifestyle. But you can tell at like to me, one of the most interesting things of the show is the relationship between Holden and Ed Kemper because you can tell Ed has such a hold on Holden that during their first meeting, he's like, would you like something to eat? And Holden's like, no, I'm okay. He goes, 
I'm going to get us an egg salad sandwich. And he's like, I prefer tuna. And he's like, no, 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 you want the egg salad sandwich. And there's at some point after that where Holden is out with his girlfriend and he orders an egg salad sandwich. And the girlfriend's like, you don't even like egg salad sandwiches. And he goes, oh, yeah, right. And it's like, oh, my God. Well, that's messed up. Yeah, and then there's at some point at the end of season one where Ed Kemper literally, like, hugs Holden. And it was, like, almost that thing where, like, he almost needed it, but then he realized that it was Ed Kemper who was hugging him. So he obviously, like, flees, and it's like, oh, my oh, God, please. what is happening? Like... <laughs> Sorry, flee is such a good word for that. Yeah, well, he does. He, like, jets out of that freaking, like, room and then ends up collapsing because he's having a panic attack. But really quick oh, before great. We, really quick before we move on, I don't know why I found this so interesting. So the real Ed Kemper is still alive to this day. Yeah. Um, he's, seven, he's 70 years old, and he's obviously in prison, thank God, for everyone. Um, But apparently, apparently he records audiobooks for the blind inmates. And he's yes, like recording that. Like he's don't I not he's um he's like like narrated a shit ton of books for inmates and it's like what are you? Like it is insane. But let's not talk anymore about that because I'm sure people listening be like, why do these girls almost sound like intrigued? And it's like blame the show, okay? Blame the show. Blame the show. But, oh, my uh, gosh. But, Brittany, let's move on uh, while we have the time. What is your number two? Girl, you already know what it is. I'm going to go ahead and take it, and I'm going to try to uh, go a little bit quicker because that way you'll have time to say your number one. But uh, I was going to say The Mandalorian because I am obsessed with that show it- right now. It is actually not my number one, so I'm glad because as you were saying, I was like, she better not be picking my number one. But it, okay, good. Uh, uh, we're, we're good. We're good. No, I love The Mandalorian. I, you know, I've never been a huge Star Wars fan. I had trouble getting into it. But The Mandalorian had me, like, they had me at hello. But <laughs> love every bit of it. I love uh the whole aesthetic of the armor and the coat, it is the way, Tia. Um, But what do you say? This is the way. This is the way. But uh, whenever I hear this is the way, I think of the way with, like, the the knuckles thing, that meme. But, uh, no. Uh, First off, can we just agree that Baby Yoda is the best thing about that show? I, you know, normally I don't go for, like, oh, the obviously cute thing that people throw into things to make, like, things interesting or to have, like, the children appeal to it. But I was like, Baby Yoda, I would literally die for Baby Yoda. Like, so freaking cute, so big eyes, the little ears, not little ears, but little big ears. Um, Just uh, Mando having to, like, struggle with himself that, yes, he is a bounty hunter, and, yes, you know, he's done awful things, but, you know, even whenever the armorer goes, you know, why would an enemy help you? And he's like, well, it didn't know it was my enemy. And I'm like, oh, my heart, just going through it, um, trying to think of the exact point, but 
I just love learning learning about the Mandalorians. Uh, they do think it's funny though because uh, you know they have this whole big thing that you know they don't take off their helmets, which a lot of people are assuming that they can only do it in like the utmost privacy because you do see at that point when Mando is like covered in mud and then suddenly he's clean and they're like, how would you get deep in the armor to get that mud out? Like it's gross, so you'd have to get it out somehow. But uh, they do have a uh, point that in the Clone Wars, you know, in the cartoon that you were talking about, the Mandalorians take off their helmets like every five seconds. And then in this, they're making a big point that like they never take it off. And they're like, what is the truth? What is the truth? But they assume that these Mandalorians, ever since the perch, are like a little more radical, which would make sense. But still, love the show. Can't wait for episode four. Uh, I would very much enjoy a movie of this, and I, uh, Mando's, like, very uh, stoicness is very, uh, very appealing. Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, you know me, love Baby Yoda, best thing ever um, of this show. I just, like, to me, like, The Mandalorian definitely, like, we're only three episodes in this is like the best freaking thing that I've ever seen in my entire life. And I certainly agree with you. And I love your love of Mando. I just, he's like, he's like the best character. He really is. He absolutely is. Like I love him. And to me, it's so interesting. Like, as you know, um, I, was not a fan at all of The Last Jedi, and to me, it's like freaking The Mandalorian, like, has knocked everything out of the park, and I don't understand why. I, um, um, oof, that was like an echo. Sorry about that, guys. Technical difficulties, as always, but um, to me, I never understood why the movies can't give us, say, like, this level of like dedication because now we're seeing it in a series and you obviously can bring this type of like real great storytelling with um with special effects and all that and it's like why don't you like at this point just get John Favreau to do the movie because he clearly has a good grasp of what he's doing with The Mandalorian. And he's already had his uh, Easter egg appearance in it, because even though he's not the body for the heavy uh, infantry uh, Mandalorian, he voices him. He does? That's the big thing, is that, uh, you know, he's supposed to have an Easter egg in that episode, and a lot of people tried to figure it out. And they're like, I was on Reddit. They're like, I, like I know John Favreau's voice anywhere. And they're like, he is the heavy infantryman, but the guy that does the body, you know, that one guy from episode one, it says that he's like the double, or like something. Like there's two places, so they believe John Favreau was the uncredited voice for it. And that's why it shows that one guy is, like, the double for him because it was, like, two characters in one, like, two actors in one. Oh, uh, okay. That makes sense then. Um, yeah. 
I, I love it that it's like we're only three episodes in and it already is like the best show of 2019. Um, I love Baby Yoda, everything that is amazing in this world. I love Mando's dedication. Like I was watching the latest episode with Polly. And we're watching it, first of all, when Mando's like, that's not a toy. And like, like such a dad to Baby Yoda. And when, uh, at first, Mando gives Baby, Baby Yoda to the, like, scientist, Polly's like, wait, that's whack. He's like, he's just giving him away? He's like, what the fuck? And I'm like, I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm like, it's okay. It's going to be okay. And it was okay. He went back. And you know what I loved about that episode is that at first you see Mando, like, uh, arguing with the other Mandalorians, like the heavy infantry guy. But at the end, like, the code that the Mandalorians have for each other, because even though it's like, hey, like, him going back for his bounty, right, that obviously broke the code. And now he essentially is uh, threatening their like their po- their post. They're gonna have to change their post now. But it didn't matter. The Mandalorians still were there to help him escape with Baby Yoda because it's all about like their species. And it's like I just love that they are so there for them. And I was reading that, you know, the Mandalorians, you know, they're not really a race or, like, if for anybody to be considered a Mandalorian, they have to be, like, follow, like, I think there's, like, four rules. Like, one is, like, to protect your family. One is, like, to bring honor to your clan. One is to, like, learn the language of the Mandalorians. And then uh, something else, but they have a big emphasis on, like, taking care of your uh, family and your people. Yeah, and we saw that, and I love it. So, Brittany, great choice for the number two. I think that we can both agree that we love The Mandalorian. We look forward to it every Friday now, and I'm so happy that not only was it renewed for a second season, but they are actually currently filming it. So, John Favreau, you have done an amazing job. Uh, Pedro Pascal, who plays the Mandalorian, love you, and please don't ever get rid of Baby Yoda because I will literally fly it. But we have come down, <laughs> we have come down to the number one in our show, which I am super, super, super excited about um, of our top ten 2019 shows. But let's uh, let's get a move on. So as always, I will go through the list. Sorry. I had a technical difficulty about three minutes ago, and you know how that always, like, freaking knocks me off my shit for a second. I'm like, yeah, I, didn't have wi- I didn't have a wi- I didn't have Wi-Fi for a second, and I, felt, and I felt the show disconnected. I had to, like, redo it, and that's why you heard that echo for a second. Oh, hopefully this is all recording. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> So our number 10 is Steven Universe, number 9 is I Zombie, number 8 is The Punisher Season 2, number 7 is Fleabag, number 6 is Chernobyl, number 5 is Doom Patrol, number 4 is Stranger Things, number 3 is Mindhunter, number 2 is The Mandalorian, and number 1, which I'm so happy you didn't pick it, Brittany, but it is, and I'll go quickly on this one, American Gods Season 2. Because oh, I didn't even think about that. I I knew there yeah. was something. I knew there was something. 
quick interjection. I when I was looking through the shows, there was a poster that had like the neon lights, and I was like, oh, and you know, like when you think of something, you're like, oh, it would be great, and then you lose it, and I couldn't remember what show. I was thinking of it was American God. Oh, you were lucky, girl. If I would have thought about <laughs> it, it would have been on the list. <laughs> so American Gods season two is definitely my number one of 2019. I absolutely love this season more than I love season one. And it still baffles me that there are so many people who shit on season two. I thought it was great. It was very story driven. I love the liberties that they took with some characters. Um, because obviously the book was written like over 10 years ago and there's characters that, are very much changed, but for the good, like, I love, you know, everyone loves Bilquis, but Bilquis is not how she was, say, in the book, but, you know, so many things, right? Bilquis and Mr. Nancy's relationship with each other, the new gods versus the old gods. I loved how the first episode started off with uh, House on the Rock, that carousel scene was beautiful, ending off with um, the, you know, whatchamacallit, the the, the shootout in the diner, very cool. I love finding out more about Shadow Moon's past. Uh, obviously loved where they went with Sweeney and Laura because, you know, in the book, Laura Moon is not fleshed out the way she is. Sweeney has one scene. So the way that they really just, like, really heavily emphasized the two of them and their story was brilliant. I especially loved, as you know, their uh, trip down to New Orleans with Mustafa Shakir as uh, Baron Samadhi and Mama uh, Brigitte. Mama and Brigitte, amazing. I loved them giving more of, say, a storyline to Technical Boy. I mean, to me, that end scene in episode four still hurts my heart. Hello, friend. Like, Oh, my God. Um, And then, to me, I still think, like, episode six was the best episode because back in the 1930s and that whole thing with Telephone Boy and we saw Odin uh, back then, I loved it. But I I thought that it was great. I loved finding out more about uh, Salim and the djinn, which is funny because I don't know if you noticed, Brittany, but Salim is the guy in The Mandalorian. I did. I did. I meant to bring it up that he plays. Uh, oh, and we don't talk about Sweeney. Oh, I know, I know. Uh, but I, like, yelled during the Mandalorian to Polly. I was like, it's Selim! Um, But, yeah. Uh, Selim and the Jin. I love finding out more about them because, obviously, Selim thought that their, uh, you know, uh, encounter with each other was going to be one of rainbows and butterflies, and it was less than ideal at some points. But, obviously, at the end, they you know, rode off into the sunset with each other because they love each other. Uh, like yeah, legitimately. Sweeney's uh, episode in season, uh, not season two, episode seven was absolutely beautiful, gorgeous, stunning, well done, heartbreaking, kept you on your toes. Are they, aren't they? Um, I'm still going to sit here and hold out hope that he comes back in episode, in season three. Uh, we got a lot, of, I, I know we have only like five minutes, but we have so much that is coming up in season three. I mean, Marilyn Manson is going to be in it, uh, Blythe Danter, uh, Danny Trejo, uh, we have a Miss I saw World. that. 
Danny Trejo is playing Mr. World. Now, does that mean he's replacing Crispin Glover? I don't know, because we also have Dominique Jackson coming in as a Ms. World. So are we just going to see a bunch of different incarnations of Mr. World? Because, you know, he can be everywhere at one time, you know, and they're gods. They're not going to just hold to a specific, you know, look pretty much. So who knows? Um, but let me go to you, Brittany, while I have the time. I don't want to take off because I know that you love the American gods just as much as I do. No, I loved it. I thought that that season was very strong. I've enjoyed it. It was one of those uh, that I actually looked forward to each episode and waited, had to watch as soon as it came up because I enjoyed it. Loved learning about Sweeney's past. Uh, Felt very bad for uh, Laura Moon. Moon. And uh, I did love, uh, what's his name? The Baron. Uh, in New Orleans and that whole aesthetic and how uh, we did get to see that moment between Laura Moon and uh, Sweeney. There was so much going on. Definitely love the uh, 30s episode. Was it the 1920s or the 1930s? They have the 1930s. 30s. Yes, yes. And Thor and, oh, you know, I love me some Ian McShane. So yeah. I I needed all of him. He was so good in that. Uh, makes me want to watch Deadwood. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, no, it was amazing. Uh, I know I'm rushing through that a little bit, but, no, I think this is a perfect number one. Yeah, uh, as you said, for Laura Moon, I mean, Mr. Wednesday definitely was more of a villain in this than he was in season one because in season one he was very smooth-talking. He had to obviously rope a shadow in, but we found out more about Mr. Wednesday in season two. Obviously, Shadow learns that he was behind Laura Moon's uh, killing. He finds out a lot. Um, Sweeney really starts sticking up for himself against Mr. Wednesday. We find out why they even have the arrangement that they do. And, yeah, that one episode where, Pretty much Mr. Wednesday is telling Laura how little she actually means in life uh, was heartbreaking to me because I know that Laura did a lot of messed up stuff and maybe she's not, say, the most likable character at times because she's not very apologetic about the bad things that she does. But um, to me, that was absolutely heartbreaking because no one wants to hear that their life is basically worthless. So, And then Bill Quist was just absolutely beautiful in this season because I just think that Yatsidi Bakari is an absolutely gorgeous woman. And Mr. Nancy was just on par. I know that we loved him in season one, and he obviously stole the show in any scene that he was in. So having more of him and having him still be as powerful and making all those bold statements like really quick Orlando Jones actually wrote the scene where he talks about you know that scene where Mr. Nancy Billquist and Mr. Ebis are in yes yes I I know which one you're talking about and he has that large speech uh Orlando Jones wrote that and he said that he didn't think that's incredible and he didn't think that that would be included because of how like you know stark it was but it was amazing um loved it love American Gods can't wait for season three. Brittany, we have literally a minute and a half left, so I would love for you to take a moment to promote yourself and tell everyone where they can find you. 
Focus that you can always find me at Twitter at itty bitty Brit zero. I had to change that because I have been on Twitch and wasn't exactly fond of having my last name out there as much. But uh, yeah, find me there, and you can find me at Twitch at itty bitty Brit. And we're having a good time. Played some horror games last night. Been playing Tomb Raider. So if you want to enjoy watching me get scared or get frustrated with video games, that is the place to find me. Absolutely. Please, everyone who is into Twitch, make sure that you follow that. As far as me, make sure you find me on Twitter and Instagram at TFAVI. Of course, you can follow Geek Vibes Nation on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We as well as GeekVibesNation.com. We have all amazing podcasts, our top ten every weekend, Geeks Against the Grain, Geek Vibes Live, They Call This a Movie, and everything else in between, Scene and Nerd, everything else in between. Brittany, it has been amazing. I can't wait to see what the rest of 2019 has for us and what 2020 has for us TV show-wise. Thank you again for being with us, and have a great day. Have a great day. Bye.